revival of the young folks. Can you, can you spark those up? Excellent. Um, and in, in a little while, I'm going to read from these verses. So turn to the mobile and put your thumb in it. Uh, John 1 uh, from verse 1. So just, just find that comment. I'm going to read that in a little while. Okay. So John 1 from verse 1. We'll read that in a little while. If you remember, at the end of the last year, towards the end of last year, we went through, we walked through a several week journey, didn't we? Through uh, the book of John. A really good series. We've had last year, if you remember, where if you imagine Mark Luke and John, and we just we just told the story of the Gospels all the way through the year. And I thought that was a really good good time, and I, and I really appreciate all those that came and shared. Uh, and we finished, you know, with John. Um, uh, but to this, yeah, but to now I want to revisit the beginning of John, um, because we're looking at this theme of, of transformation and testimony. And uh, last week, if you remember, I looked uh, very briefly uh, testimony um, when I had, did my talk on, on transformation. Remember that? People who were here? Yep. Um, and I, I also told very briefly at the beginning of that my story, my kind of testimonial, my confession of witness about who Jesus is, um, you know, my salvation story and the impact that, that Jesus has had in my life and what my relationship with him is like. Um, I, I briefly shared that. And I went on to emphasize that the testimony and transformation go hand in hand. And that you can't begin a relationship with the savior of the universe and not be transformed. It, it just doesn't happen. If you see Jesus into your heart, you will be transformed. It's, it's what happens. You cannot stay the same. All those of you who have kind of received Jesus as your heart, can you testify that it's true? Yeah, yeah, hallelujah. So as we begin to kind of enter this next phase of our, for our church family, as we begin to you know, look to move and to meet and to establish a, a new base of operations, as it were, um, we need to rediscover and we need to be able to learn how to retell the story of how we all came to know Jesus, because we're going to be encountering a lot of people, as I'm sure most of you do every day if you're in work and secular work and things like that, we're going to encounter people who don't yet know Jesus, who have a perception of the church that is probably, probably inaccurate. Um, before I became a Christian, as I started to and begin, I began that relationship with Kathy, and, and I wasn't a Christian, Kathy, my wife, um, you know, the thing that she told me about church, I had no concept. I had no concept of, for example, Christian music. For those of you who've grown up in church, probably seems really natural. For those of you who've been in church for many, many years, you've probably forgotten that. But, you know, it was the early noughties that I became a Christian, and I, I had no concept of Christian music. I thought it was him. I thought it was kind of more like liturgical stuff. And, um, you know, it was like there was this underbelly. Of the, of, of, of the Christian world, you know, it's just under the surface of normal culture, in quotes. There's this underbelly of Christianity that I have no idea existed. 
And so I'm saying to you, therefore, those of you who have been Christians for a long time, those of you who have don't forget that. That people don't have a clue. It's true. That people, when they think of Christianity, most people, yeah. there are exceptions to every generalization, absolutely, but most people think, when they think of Christianity, they think of churches, they think of church buildings, they think of vicars in frocks, they think of liturgy, they think of boredom, they think maybe of, of wafers in your mouth. They don't know about the very real relationship that we have as Christians with our Lord and Savior. And so we've got to, if you don't do it already, and if you're not going to the habit of doing it, you've got to have the habit of doing it, you've got to relearn to be able to give your testimony that is relevant and that is real to people who have a completely different perception about what Christianity is. Yeah? That's right. It's true, isn't it? So I'm going to read through uh, these, these, these verses in the book of John again. And because I was, I was struck afresh, I really was struck afresh at the amazing story that Jesus has. You know, his story. And I'm not just talking about the, the, the virgin birth, his ministry, his eventual sacrifice and resurrection, and those are amazing. But actually, it's that story that goes way, way back. Back to before time itself. And the fact that in all of us, every single one of us, even those who don't yet know him, we all carry his light in us to this very day. And when we do read these verses together, I hope that you are blown away. Don't be reading them now. <laughs> I hope that you're blown away with them fresh as I was at the beginning of this week, even though I've read them lots of times. And if you're not a believer and you're with us this morning, I hope that they speak to you, if I would say, hold on to your seat, if you're really ready to receive what Christ has got to say to you this morning. Because these are amazing verses. Can you just hold your Bible, your Bible app? Just hold it up as, as an act of worship. Just say, thank you, Jesus, for your word. Thank you, Jesus, that it is real today as it was yesterday. And it's going to be as real tomorrow as it is today. It is an amazing book. It is a book that is a book of, of, of kind of understatements, you know, it, 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 it can say one amazing thing about the universe, about Christ, about relationship with him, and, and, and yet it just passes it off in one sentence and moves on, and we've got to learn to pause, and to read, and to carefully go, and wow, that's amazing, you know, open our mouths and wow. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Thank you that we access it. See, some would say, so we're going to look at John, just, just three verses. We're going to say that, that John was the closest disciple to Jesus. In fact, in, in John 13, 23, it refers to him as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And together with other verses in that amazing book, you can infer that maybe Jesus and John were best buds. They were so, so close. Anybody got that relationship with somebody that's so, so close? So that Sarah's got a relationship. There are people in your lives that you just, you share everything with. And, and, and if you don't have that, I hope you find that at some point in your life. You know, whether, whether that's, it could be a husband or a wife, it could be a best friend. If you have that, you'll find it amazing. If you don't have that, I think you begin to find that in someone. And that you're able to 
open up your heart in such an intimate way and that you trust them implicitly. Because that's the kind of relationship that, that John had with Jesus. You know, they, they, were, they were together in those really, really intimate moments. And because when you read this book of John, when you, when you read it, you're reading something that's really quite different from the other Gospels. There's, there's a different emphasis. There's a, a testimony of Jesus in, in John's book, which is, is totally different from the others. For example, when you say, when you read uh, uh, Matthew, you can say that you're reading through the eyes of a devout disciple. When you read Mark and Luke, you're reading through the eyes of a, a dedicated believers who knew and loved Jesus, but they gathered much of their information from eyewitness testimony of others. But when you read John, when you read that book, that gospel, that testimony, when you read that, you're reading the words of the disciple who rested on Jesus' chest. Could you imagine what that's like to be able to rest on God's chest? And I don't just mean in some kind of spiritual, ethereal way. I mean really, really touch flesh on flesh, knowing that he loves you completely. I'm beginning to get blown away again by the words in Scripture, by what it tells us. He was one of the inner circle, along with James and Peter, I might add. And he was, like I say, with Jesus in his most intimate circumstances and moments. John was the one who heard more than others. He was the one that, 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 that witnessed more. So when we read these verses in a moment, I want us to read them, and we need to read them through the eyes of someone who really knew, and I mean really knew, Jesus as best as any mortal man ever could. Let's turn with me. Let's turn with ready, ready. We're going to read from, who's got the Amplified Bible open? Excellent. You're going to be on the same page. The rest of you, you might be a little bit kind of swayed about where I go, but I'm going to read from the Amplified because it just opened things up a little bit more and I, I get a little bit more out of the Amplified version. Whatever version works for you is fantastic, but there's just more in that that helps me when to try and understand what the Word of God says. Some people call it a multiple choice Bible. <laughs> you get to choose different bits that are in the brackets, but I think it's great. Are you ready? Are you ready for this? Okay. In the beginning, before all time, was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God Himself. He was presently originally with God. All things were made and came into existence through Him. And without Him, not even one thing made that has come into being was not even one thing made that was to be. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines on the darkness. For the darkness has never overpowered it, put it out or absorbed it or appropriated it and is receptive to it. Now I'm going to focus on those verses, but I want to read to verse 9 because it's just amazing. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came to witness that he might testify of the light 
that all men might believe in it, adhere to it, trust it, and rely upon it through him. He was not the light himself, but came that he might bear witness regarding the light. There it was. The true light was then coming into the world, the genuine, perfect, steadfast light that illumines every person. That's outstanding. That's amazing. And you even begin to grasp what those few short verses are saying. Blows my mind. Now, if you know your brother Gospels, you'll notice that John doesn't retrace any of the events already described in the other Gospels. He doesn't write chronological biography of the life of Jesus. His purpose isn't to detail the ministry of Jesus. John, as we did say last year, is selective in what he includes. And his selections point to a distinct purpose. And if you read chapter 20, I'm not going to go into that, you'll, you'll understand what I mean by that. But John primarily gives two reasons for his writing. The first one, is that we might believe Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah, he is the Son of God, a divine human person, and that two, that in believing in him, we can have life. So John wants to tell us who Jesus is and why we should believe in him. These are really simple words, simple questions. Who and why? Who and why? These are powerful questions that, that we need to be able to answer when we share our own story with others, when we give our testimony of Jesus. Who and why? I've entitled today's talk The Greatest Story. But really, it's the beginning the greatest story. And that story continues from the words and from the pages of scripture into our lives today. So we need to be able to answer as part of that story to people the who and the why. So John focuses upon a central fact about Christian faith. Christianity isn't a philosophy, it's about a person. And that person is fundamental to who we are. To remove Jesus from Christianity is, is like taking numbers out of maths. It's, it's, it's like taking the sun out of daylight. It's to strip Christianity of its most essential and while other world religions focus on the teachings, ideas, philosophies of their founders and teachers, Christianity is about a relationship with a person. And that's why Jesus Christ is the most amazing individual in all of human history. More books have been written, music composed, pictures painted and dramas performed about Jesus than any other person. So our first question, why? Why? 
Why did so other many great things come and go? Why do others fade into history? But Jesus is still so, so large. He's still so, so important, even in our modern society. He's still with us, looming large over everyone and everyone, despite the secularization of our culture. Jesus is there. So why is he the most powerful personality to ever appear on this planet? And I know you're probably beginning to answer that. But let me, let me go through these verses and try and give that answer that you've probably already got in your head a bit more clarity. So who is Jesus? And as we uncover who Jesus is, I think we'll be challenged as to why we should believe in him. So let's first start. Let's, let's look at three reasons why we should believe in. Well, actually, I, I think, I think really we, should, we should be saying from now on, why should we believe on Jesus? Why should we believe on Jesus rather than in Jesus? And I think before I begin, it's useful that I define that for you because I'm going to be saying that phrase a little bit. If we say we believe in it, we, we, we simply believe that, that the subject of the thought, or if it's a person, that they exist, or if it's an event that is a, it has occurred or it will occur. To believe on means we have to accept something, or means we do accept something implicitly as an object or person of religious trust or obedience. To have faith in it or him. So we believe on Jesus because we implicitly receive him as a person of trust and obedience. We have faith in him. So we believe in Jesus because he is God. We believe in Jesus because he is God. John begins his gospel in a really unusual manner. Like I said, unlike the other gospel writers who begin their account of Jesus in a historical context, John opens up his gospel in eternity. Wow! Astounding! Amazing! Grasp it. He's talking about eternity when he's referring to Jesus. John wasn't content to begin his story as Mark did with the story of John the Baptist. It wasn't enough, as Luke did, to go back to the birth narrative of John the Baptist and Jesus. John didn't even go back with Matthew to the genealogy of Abraham and the roots of Israel, or again with Luke to the beginning of the human race in Adam. John goes so far back, so far back that it takes us beyond human history. He starts with these words, in the beginning. Now these words should sound familiar to you. And probably they're going to be familiar to most people, even if they aren't a believer. Because they take us right back to Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. John starts with God. And you can't go any further back than God. And so this is where John begins his testimony. In eternity past, in God's eternal purpose. And what does he tell us? In the beginning was the Word. Let me ask you the question, do you recognize the significance of what John is saying? In the beginning, 
from all eternity, the Word has existed. In other words, the Word has eternally existed. And who is the Word in this text? And if you're looking at the Amplified, maybe some other versions, it's answered the question for us already, but the original text isn't so implicit. So we have to ask, why did John choose to identify this individual as the Word instead of just giving us his name? And let's talk briefly about this, this, this term, the Word. The original word that translates word is the term, anybody know it? You can shout it out. Logos. And Logos isn't a well-known English word, but it was very common in first century Greek. And it's a word that John employs to capture the attention of his quite diverse audience. So to the Greeks, Logos represented the, the soul of the universe. It was the, the, the rational principle from which everything came, a, a creative, stabilizing, governing force of the universe. And if you forgive this geeky reference, it's a bit like the force from Star Wars. To the Hebrews, the Logos was identified with the Word of God. In the Old Testament, the Word of God is connected with God's active power. His word represented his actions in creation, revelation, deliverance, covenant, guidance, and judgment. The word of God represented his actions, his, his self-revelation, how God revealed himself and how he acted. Logos, power in that word, the word. Because when John uses this term logos, it's a term that's known to both the Greek and the Hebrew. It's a term that captures the attention of the Greek philosophers, the Jewish scholars, and the average Joe on the street. It was a familiar phrase to everyone. But what does John tell us about the word in these verses? Now that, that, that he's captured the attention of his audience, which includes us, what does he tell us about the Word? John identifies the Word by describing it. And there are three traits of this Word. It's good stuff, isn't it? It's good stuff. Number one, the Word is eternally God. John says, in the beginning, before all time, was the Word, and the Word was with God. In these, these, these so few words, I mean, it's amazing how he says something so awesome in just one sentence with very few words. It's, it's, it's mind-blowing. In these few words, John informs us that the Word has existed for all eternity. At the beginning of time, the Word was there with God. The word simply exists. Does that not blow your mind? The word simply exists. He already was. He already was when time began. At creation, the word was already present. Also, John says that the word was with God. He was face to face with God. 
John indicates that the Word is distinguishable from the Father. He is a separate person. He was there with God. In these few simple but profound words, John offers us a glimpse of the Trinity. Uh, Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Word has existed from eternity past, yet at the same time, He is a separate person from the Father. He's eternal, yet separate, apart, yet recognizable as another. Number two, the Word is equally God. These final five words at the end of verse one are some of the most important words uh, words in all of Scripture in understanding who, who, who Jesus is. It says this, and the Word was God Himself. And the Word was God Himself, not a God, not not a God like as, as others, maybe like Jehovah's Witnesses would would believe. He was God. As much as the Father is God, the Word is God. He was with God and he, he was God. He is equal with the Father and the Word was God. Number three, the Word is essentially God. The Word is essentially God. What John tells us in these, these short verses is, is that everything that makes God who he is, everything that makes God, God, the Word possesses. In, in other words, the Word is God in his very essence, his, his, his nature. While he is separate from the Father in his personhood, he, he is one with God in his essence. The meaning of this verse isn't merely that the Word possess divine qualities or characteristics, but that the Word participates in this reality that we call God. The Word was true deity. The Word, I'm using that with a capital W, to give us more of a clue who the Word is. The Word is God. And what we have here is this amazing mystery of the Trinity. God is three yet one. He's three in person, but in one in essence. I've heard a number of people trying to give me analogies over the years about how, how does the Trinity exist? How does it work? How does it... And the best one, and it's the simplest one, is that of an egg. An egg is composed primarily of three parts, the white, the yolk, and the shell. And if you don't have all three parts, you don't have an egg. You don't go into a shop and say, please, can I have a shell, a yolk, and a white? You say, can I have an egg? That's all analogies break down eventually, but it's the best one I've come up with. The little old Catholic lady, when I was about 12, told me that, and I'd taken that to heart. She was a little old Catholic, Irish lady, and she would love it. God. He's God. He is the Trinity. So, let's answer the question. John informs us that Jesus Christ is God. He is eternally God. There was never a time when the Son was not God. 
He supersedes the created order. He is equally God. The Word is as much God as the Father. And He is essentially God. Everything that God makes God who He is, the Word possesses. His very nature is that of God. The Word is God. So who is Jesus? Comes right back to that simple answer, but with so much profoundness and amazingness behind it. Jesus is God. And we need to believe on Jesus, not in Jesus. If we believe already in him, we need to believe on him because he is the creator. He is the creator. In verse 3, John turns the words relationship to the Father, to his relationship with creation. John informs us that not only was the word present for creation, he was also the agent of creation. It says this, all things were made and came into existence through him. And without him, not even one thing made that has come into being. And was not even one thing that's I realize here, sorry, All things that were made came into existence through him, and without him was not even one thing made that has come into being. Everything that exists owes its existence to the Word, to Jesus. He is creator, and apart from him, there is no existence. And it's no accident that John moves from the Word as God to the Word as creator. God's revelation is tied to creation. John informs us that all of creation owes its existence to the Son of God, and therefore nothing is outside of his range of activity. He's in control of everything. He is the Lord of everything. He is the creator of the world. He holds the deed and the copyright to everything. You own nothing. It is all his. But he blesses you by giving you stewardship over what is rightly his. And that is amazing. That we are stewards in his stead. In Colossians 1, notes down, look at Colossians 1, verses 15 and 17, again from the Amplified Version, it says, Now he is the exact likeness of the unseen God, the visible representation of the invisible. He is the firstborn of all creation, for it was in him that all things were created. In heaven and on earth, things seen and things unseen, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities, all things are created and exist through him, by his service, intervention, and in and for him. And he himself existed before all things, and in him all things consist, cohere, are held together. In Jesus, creation is held together. That begins to blow my mind again. We can't even begin to grasp that. Maybe on a philosophical level, we'll begin to work that through. But in him, all things are held together. This creator of the universe who wants to have a personal relationship with you and me, and wants to speak to us through various ways and means, holds everything together. And he wants to sit at our table and eat with us. 
the creator that was once on a beach giving his disciples fish for breakfast, chatting with the creator of the universe that let John lay on his chest. He who holds everything together. We need to believe on Jesus because he is the source of light and life. John moves on from creation in general to the most significant element of creation, and that's life itself. In these verses, we're reminded that only in Christ is spiritual life obtained. He is the originator of all life. He's the originator of spiritual light. Light throughout scripture is often contrasted spiritually with, with darkness. And Jesus identifies himself as the light of the world. Light represents God's deliverance to humanity and to creation. In verse 5, John contrasts the light of God with the darkness of sinful humanity. The spiritual light can't be extinguished by the darkness of this world. The contrast between light and dark represents this spiritual conflict. But we're reminded that the darkness can't overcome or extinguish the light. Remember, John is writing this gospel after the resurrection. He knows that Jesus Christ couldn't be overcome by the spiritual darkness of the world. He is the victor. The light shines continually in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. I mean, did you know that? Think about light. Did you know that in good conditions, a single point of light, maybe not much bigger than a candle, can penetrate 50 miles of darkness. In optimum conditions, you could see a pinprick of light 50 miles away. Darkness can never overcome the light. Darkness can never overcome the light. In, in verse 4, it says that in him was life, and that life was the light of men. Or humanity. So in us is the light of Jesus. In each and every one of us is the light of Jesus. Now in some of us that has yet to be revealed. Those optimum conditions have yet to come about. That relationship with Jesus who opens up your heart and reveals the light inside you. That's, that has to happen for some people. For those of us who believe we bring light. We bring the light of Jesus that is within us. The creator of the universe, his light, is a part of who we are. It's an essence of who we are. It's powerful. It's divine. And as, as such, we can, we can overcome and extinguish the darkness. No matter who, where we are, where we are, we can extinguish the darkness because we have the light of Jesus within us. Every single one So why should we believe on Jesus? Because he's the originator of life and light. He brings life to the spiritually dead. He brings light to the darkened souls of the lost. He is the originator of life and light. 
And this story, this, this message of Jesus demands a response of belief or unbelief. It's, it's, it's not a bit of that and a bit of this. You either believe or you don't believe. You receive or you don't receive. Who Jesus is and why others should believe in him. Why should we tell others about him? Why should we join John in giving testimony of him? Why should we do those things? Because one, he's the son of God. He is God himself. He's the creator of the world. He's the originator of life and light. And to deny him is to turn from God himself, the creator of the world. To deny him is to continue to live in spiritual darkness and death. Only Jesus offers true light and true life. And we need to bring that light to people who don't know him, who are spiritually dead, who are in that darkness, who are going to hell. touched a few buttons, didn't it? Because we don't like the idea of hell in our modern society. Now that isn't our message. We don't tell people you're sinful, that you're going to hell. We tell them Jesus loves you and wants to receive you and wants to save you. We tell people who Jesus is. We tell people that he's the creator of everything. He holds everything together. He's the light that is already inside you. It just needs to be revealed. We just tell them that Jesus loves them. But as Christians and as believers, we know what happens if you don't believe in him, if you don't believe on him, you have one destination, and that is separation from Christ for all eternity. And that's the truth. But we can bring them the truth of love, the truth of life, the truth of light. We can tell them that Jesus loves them. So let me ask you today, and I want to answer, so yes or no, do you have a personal relationship with the Creator God? Yes. Yes. Maybe you don't. Hey, here's an opportunity to begin that relationship with that Creator God, with the originator of life and light. Because if you do, then it's amazing. From today, you can make a conviction that you want to begin to be more open to others about Him. From today. And if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with him, I want to tell you that you can and there's nothing stopping you. There's nothing stopping you. We don't have to have everything sewn up, folks. We don't have to have everything to, together for this relationship to begin. Because once we begin that relationship, we begin to be transformed. And we begin to be transformed into the image of who he is. So no matter where you are in your journey of faith, you can receive him fully this morning. Because once you enter into a relationship with Jesus, he will begin to transform you from the inside out. You know, when I became a believer, I had an issue with, with, with gambling. I used to go into um, the, the uh, what am I called? Gamble slot machine shops, wherever they are. Arcades. Uh, you know, they walked up talking the two pences and five pences ago, he was talking about the quids, the two quids, you know. And, and I used to put far too much money into those things and not get any out. But I would do it because I had a habit, I was addicted. 
Yet when I came to know Jesus, when I entered into a relationship with him, that addiction went. That addiction disappeared. And not once have I touched those machines again. Now that's very simple, it's very plain, but for others addiction is much more harmful. <coughs> it's much more devastating to not only you, but to others. And I can tell you, and you can tell others, that if they enter into a relationship with Jesus, he can either stop it straight away, as we can read stories of that happening, or he will begin to transform you and begin to take on the journey of those addictions. If only you believe on him. Now John doesn't end his gospel with just telling us who God is. He tells us that God invaded humanity. That God in the universe became one of us. He became a human being in order to provide a way that a relationship could be established. Jesus loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you. And if you have a relationship with Jesus this morning, maybe today is where you begin to work that out even more. The more, you know, in, in the natural, the more you spend time with someone, the better you get to know them. Well, the more we spend time with Jesus, the better we'll get to know him. The more we spend time in his word, the better we'll get to know him and his story, the greatest story. To spend time with him, spend time in his word, pray with him, talk with him, be together with others. You know, meeting together on a Sunday morning is so, so important. There are a number of scriptures I put out that, that, that say that Sunday, that, that meeting together, well, maybe on Sunday, maybe others, meeting together on mass corporately is a way to build you up. Is a way to, to help you on your journey. And in this world where we want to deconstruct everything down to its, its, its simplest part, doesn't work with the church. Yes, meet with others, with friends and with people and have that relationship and that discipleship relationship with others, but never forsake meeting together. In fact, Scripture says that, doesn't it? If you know your mind, do not forsake meeting together. And that's talking about this, talking about the bigger part. You know, so we can worship together, we can learn and teach, you know, learn and then teach one another. Don't forsake it. And if you know anybody who's part of this, this family here, encourage them, would you? Encourage them with love, not with guilt, but to be a part. Because if they are, I, I promise you that the, the, the journey that they will go on will be amazing. <coughs> Once you start pulling out of this kind of relationship, it's a one-way street. And you, you begin to justify all sorts of absences. Because you're not in this place, you're not meeting together and as we move forward to East End Park, you know, that's a greater challenge because that's when the rubber's really going to hit the road, isn't it? That's, that's when things are, you know, we're really going to make that decision. Now, over the months that we've met together, I've not heard anybody say they're not coming. I've only heard positive. And so I can only infer from that that we're sticking together, we're being a family, we're moving together. And this doesn't mean, and I've got to have this because I had an interesting conversation with somebody midweek. Does it? You, you suddenly forget about your neighbours or your life groups. No, at all. Life groups are an important part of this church. Wherever they're happening across the city, 
that are so, so important. So we're not asking everybody to upstairs and move to East End Park. We're not asking everybody to, to suddenly fall, go and have cups of tea and great conversation with a neighbor. Not at all. But primarily to begin with, moving to Eastern Park is going to be that base of operations where we begin to work together as a community into a community, but not forsaking life groups that are happening across the city. Now, if you're not part of a life group, um, I want to challenge you to, to either host one, you know, maybe you can host one if people are interested in, in coming along and joining you, that's brilliant, we'll support you in that, or be a part of one. Work out how you can become a part of the life group. Now, we've got fewer life groups than we did in the middle of last year now because uh, once disbanded that great the impact groups like it's a particular demographic uh, and another life group uh, came together in Eden and Austin came together, so that's kind of one life group. So maybe there is scope where we can begin to have other life groups happening across the city. So we're left with Adult uh, Impact Group that happens in Henley. Uh, we've got a, a seemingly massive one that's, that's, that's growing in Eastern Park. I would suggest that's getting a little bit big now. We need to think about can that be divided? Can, can people within that group maybe host somewhere else in Eastern Park or near Eastern Park? Um, and we've got even Hospital, which kind of a, is a way that we're working out together. So as I'm talking to you and saying we're working into a community, I want to stress so much that those life groups are so, so important. In this house, we are real. But we also make mistakes. And when we do, we make sure we say sorry. We give second chances to anyone. And we also have lots of fun. In this house, we definitely forgive. We also do loud. We give the best hugs. We are family. And in this house, that means we, we love. love.